The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Tonight, we're going to talk with Heather Ashamara. She's been on the program before. We're going to be talking about the Toltec Center of Creative Intent. Her goal is to help others achieve freedom from the inside out, genuinely believing that we're all fascinating, imaginative, capable beings. And under her invaluable wisdom of the Toltec teachings, she'll guide people through the process of enthusiastically working through life's inevitable obstacles and rearranging yourself mentally, emotionally, and physically. I do want you to go to YouTube and uh, find our YouTube channel and subscribe. It's just J.V. Johnson. It's my name. Go to YouTube, subscribe. Also go to Facebook. Find me on Facebook and find Beyond Reality Radio on Facebook as well. Like all those pages and you'll be part of our digital community. We're going to go to break, and when we come back, we will be talking with Heather Ash Amara tonight. We're going to be talking about several of her books and her work. She's the founder of Tochi, the Toltec Center of Creative Intent. It's Beyond Reality, and we'll be right back. Please support the program. Go to patreon.com slash johaw. That's J-O-H-A-W. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Tonight we're going to be talking with Heather Ashamara, a returning guest to the program. Heather Ash is founder of TOSI, the Toltec Center of Creative Intent. After experiencing her own struggle with self-worth, fear of rejection, shame, and blame, her goal is to help others achieve freedom from the inside out, genuinely believing that we're all fascinating, imaginative, capable, capable beings. Using her invaluable wisdom of the Toltec teachings, guide people through the process of enthusiastically working through life's inevitable obstacles and rearranging yourself mentally, emotionally, and physically. Heather Ash, that's a tall order, but uh, welcome back to the program. Thanks so much, JB. It's great to be back with you. It was about, geez, just about a year ago you were with us, um, but you have uh, some new work out that you want to share with us. We're going to be talking about um, uh, much of your work, including uh, The Warrior Heart Practice, which is a new book that you've got out. But let's reacquaint our listeners with your story, because you have a very, very interesting and unique story. Tell us how this path all started for you. I grew up in Southeast Asia and traveled around a lot when I was a kid. We moved basically every two years, and that really opened my eyes to how incredibly diverse and wonderful humans are and how the idea of, of how we create reality is so different in all, all the different cultures. And, you know, an experience that really stands out is when I was seven years old, two things happened. One, I decided I was going to be a writer. And I sat down to write my first book and realized I didn't have enough experience. So I kind of put that away for a while. And then the second one was I had an encounter with a little girl in India. We were traveling with my parents in India, and this young girl was coming towards me. And I had this moment with her where I recognized by looking in her eyes, like we both fell in love with each other and had this huge, expansive experience, that the separation that we create as humans is constructed. Like, I really understood 
that our souls were connecting at a really deep level. And I feel like my path really came from that desire to get out of the constraints that we've created for ourselves and to help myself and to help the people that I work with really get to a place of freedom, more sense of connection, and more joy in their lives. When you had this encounter with the girl in India, was it just a passing encounter, or did you become uh, friends or acquaintances or spend time with this girl? How did that work? It was a very passing encounter. So I was walking down the street. I was holding my dad's hands, and I remember the thing I was worried about was my white shoes getting dirty. So that's where my (laughs) head was at. And I looked up, and this little girl was walking towards me, and she was barefoot. She was in rags and she had really scruffy hair. And I had this moment of wanting to close down and turn away, and something just compelled me to look in her eyes. And it literally was a three-second encounter where we locked eyes and we both just had this joy and this radiance, and we passed, and I never saw her again. But I knew from that moment that the world was very different than what I had thought it was constructed to be. So it was a brief three-second encounter, but yet a world of information was exchanged. And I say information, but I mean more of a worldly experience, a a connecting of souls, if you will. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's often how lives change, is that we have an insight or an awareness that maybe has been building over our life, or it's been a concept, but suddenly it becomes a reality. And I was blessed to have one of those experiences as a really young girl. And it was around that time, you were about the same age, when you decided you wanted to write a book. And when you decided to write at that age, did you feel as though you had a story to tell the world, or was it more of a a child wanting to play an adult role? What what was going through your mind? Do you remember? I do. It's a really clear memory. I knew I had a story to tell. (laughs) And I literally sat down, and I had my pad of paper, and I had my pen, and I started writing, and I got a page in. And exactly what I thought was, huh, I guess I don't have enough experience to write this story yet. And so I put my pen down, and I went out to play. And I knew I had the sense, I'm like, one day I'll write that book. It's supposed to happen. Was that the point? I mean, obviously you've written books, so you ended up there eventually, but was it a straight path for you? Did did you at seven decide you were going to be a writer, recognize you needed to live a little more to have the experience to write what you wanted to write, but still just maintain that focus? No, I forgot about it for many years, um, but it popped back up in high school. So in high school, I became the editor of my school newspaper. I was writing poetry So it was in there, but definitely just like the experience with that little girl in India, I forgot about it pretty soon after it happened. And it wasn't until I was an adult that it came back up again in full force, and I realized what had actually happened. And, you know, I I became a writer in high school. I wrote for my school newspaper in college, became an editor for that paper. But in between, I wanted to be a flight attendant. I wanted to be a veterinarian. I wanted to be an equestrian. I was really big into horses. So there were a lot of other distractions. But my heart, I think, always brought me back to what I knew was my gift of what makes me feel the most aligned and that there is a story that I wanted to share. And we're not just talking about 
just writing anything. We're talking about writing some particularly heavy stuff. I mean, heavy in the sense that it's impactful, heavy in the, st- in the sense that it helps people. So somewhere along the way, when you decided to write, you decided to write about these particular topics. Where, where do those two things merge? They merge. When I moved to the United States to go to college, I had this sense, really intense sense of disconnection. I felt I was disconnected. I felt everyone around me was disconnected. And I didn't understand why. Um, I knew that something was different in Asia or something was different in the way I felt when I was in Asia and that that wasn't the same in America. And basically, I just wanted to leave America. That was my solution. I just need to get out of America. Um, and through a bunch of different experiences, I, I started realizing that what I was missing was a sense of connection to spirit, a sense of connection of belonging that was belonging to myself rather than to a country or a particular place. And so I started studying different spiritual traditions and started gathering information. And really the most impactful person for me was uh, Don Miguel Ruiz, who's the author of The Four Agreements. And that teaching, along with a lot of life experiences, which I did have, (laughs) (laughs) helped me to really start to ask good questions is how I would think about it. I think all writing and really all art is about asking good questions. And I started asking the question, why is it so hard to make change? Like I saw myself and I saw a lot of my friends who were doing really deep work go to make a change in their life, start making the change, and then somehow backslide. And so that was where I really started with my first book, which was how do we sustain change? How do we not just think about change, but actually how do we actually make it stick? And that's really has been a thread through all of my books. Heather Ash, you're not the first person that's been on the program that has discussed this affinity for um, Eastern ideas, you know, um, Asianic ideas. Can you help those of us who have not been exposed to those ideas directly like you have understand what the differences are between what we experience, see, hear, watch, are taught in the United States versus the ideas that you are referring to that you felt you wanted to leave the United States for? Mm, That's a really great question. So the United States is beautiful in that it focuses on independence individual independence, and that's a really powerful thing. It's it's transformed the world. And it also has a shadow side, because we also then tend to disconnect. We tend to say, I can do it myself. I don't need anybody else. And there's a way that Americans sometimes can get rigid in that way and can also get really focused on forcing and pushing and trying to make things happen. And in Asia, and it's changing now because the West has infected Asia, and Asia has affected the West. I mean, there's a lot of transformation that's been happening. But the time that I grew up, especially in Bangkok, there was not much influence from the West at all. And people were very deeply connected to nature, to each other, to family, to a sense of community. And there there was a sense of peace that people had. And I remember going to the slums in Bangkok and looking at the people and thinking, these people are happier than most of the people I know. And I could see it. And they were living in cardboard shanties. But there was this light inside of them. And I believe it was from that connection that is what I've been trying to recreate and share with others. 
at what point, how old were you when you um, left that part of the world, came back here and tried to assimilate, assimilate back to what we would consider to be um, our ideas, you know, where you started to find yourself having those struggles where you wanted to leave again. Uh, was that your, was that college? How old were you at that point? That was college. Yeah, I was 17. Yeah. And I had moved to California from Singapore. And so it was, I was young still. And it really wasn't until, I think I met Miguel when I was 24. So again, I was really blessed to have incredible teachers and incredible resources as I, as I grew up to becoming a young woman. And a real turning point for me is I was in Nicaragua. So a group of us had driven to Nicaragua to bring medical supplies to people and to bring toys around Christmas time. We had driven, I, mean, I think it was like six or seven days to get there. And I had an epiphany while I was there, which was I'm moving back to, to South America. I decided I was going to move to South America. It was closer, but that I felt like I was needed there. And when I went back to the States, and we started talking about our experience, I was super, super shy. And so I found myself suddenly sharing about something that I was passionate about, and I realized I could talk in public as long as I was passionate about something. And I got a really clear message then. You need to stay in America and work with your people. Just download. And I went, I, these are not my people. I don't, want to, I don't want to be in America. And the voice again was like, you need to stay in America and work with your people. And I had this argument with that voice, with that deep knowing voice. And the third time, and that's just my rule. If something comes to me three times, I do it no matter what. And so the third time I was like, all right, I'll work with, I'll work with my people. These are my people. It's true. Tell, and I'm really grateful for that. Yeah. Very, very grateful yeah, tell for us, that. Tell, tell us more about, um, about uh, Miguel. Because he he's very, very important in this whole story. Yes. So a, a couple, like probably five or six after, years after that experience of like stay in the United States, I had a dream about a man that I knew was going to absolutely change my life. And I woke up from the dream thinking, right, where am I going to meet this human? I live in a tiny town in Northern California. And literally, a week later, somebody came into my office and said, Oh, my God, you have to meet this man. And my whole body went, Oh, no, I am not ready. I knew I was not ready for how much my life was about to change. And it took me a year. It took me a year to get ready. And there was no conscious, like, you need to do these things. I just knew my life was about to change drastically. Uh, so about a year after that, I went and met Miguel for the first time. And at that time, he was traveling. This was before the Four Agreements. You know, nobody knew him at that time. Uh, this was 1994. And when I met him the first time, I had a full body. I was like, yep, there he is. Okay. And it was also the community. Because what I felt was a group of really dedicated people that were open-hearted and we're on a path, and that really drew me in. And I was blessed because literally, I think the next month, Miguel announced that he was taking on a group of apprentices, and I slid in and was able to work very intensely with him for many years. You um, use, and probably still do use, uh, firewalking as part of your teaching. Is that right? I do. Yeah, I learned... Firewalking 
way early, so much before I met Miguel even. And it was one of those things where somebody invited me to, fi- to a fire walk, and I was like, mm, okay, that sounds kind of interesting. But I didn't even understand what it was until we were around the fire raking coals out. And I remember my mind thinking, what are we, like, this makes no sense. What are we doing? This is fire. But when it came time, when the coals were raked out and we, we started the process, I suddenly knew without a doubt I could walk. And I was able to walk that night three or four times and woke up the next morning and looked at my feet. My feet were totally happy and normal, and I just started weeping. And I realized how potent something like fire walking is because what it does is we have a, a very basic belief as humans, fire burns. You learn that as a kid. Right. The moment you even just watch somebody walk across 1,300-degree coals, that agreement shatters. You're like, okay, how else am I limiting myself? I love teaching the firewalk because it's such a quick re- rewire around reality of what's actually real and how have we limited ourselves without realizing it. All right, so you're going to have to help me understand this because I don't know that I could get myself to do that. I'm just not sure. I'm, I'm one of these people that, no, you're not going to get me to jump out of an airplane, even with a parachute or some guy on my back that's going to do it all for me. I, I can't do it, and I'm not sure that I could walk across a bed of coals. But maybe if you tell me how it works, is it mind over matter? It's mind in matter. So scientists can understand why people can walk on coals and not feel the pain, and that would be mind over matter. They can't really explain accurately why we can walk and not get burned. And the, you know, there's a lot of firewalkers have done a ton of study around this. And the, the thing that makes the most sense comes from the fire, people that have been walking on fire for the longest, which is thousands and thousands of years, which is a group of people in South Africa. And what they say is that. In order to walk on the fire, you have to raise your noom to match the noom of the fire. We don't have a direct translation in English, but the word noom, the closest translation is energy. Spell that for me. You have me. to Spell, raise your energy to match the energy of the fire. Spell that word for me. Yeah, N-U-M. N-U-M. And it has two dots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Noom. When so, And that's what we've seen is that there's a whole process of helping people get really present and raise their energy so that their energy matches the fire. And when you do that, you can walk. Makes no logical sense. <laughs> but it's an incredible experience. And tell me about the experience when, you know, when you accomplish that for the first time and when anyone accomplishes that, and obviously you teach it as well. So you're, you're, you want your students who are, you're, you're instructing to get something out of it. What is that thing you want them to get out of it or that people walk away with after they've accomplished something like that? To realize that we limit ourselves with how we create our own reality. So the stories we tell ourselves, the stories our culture tells us, Put, can often put us into a box. And what I love about firewalking is that people leave after a firewalk, again, whether they've walked or not, just witnessing it, going, okay, you know, I thought I was scared of going to that job interview, or I thought I was intimidated about taking on this new project, and they're suddenly like, I can do this, I got it. And firewalking is such a beautiful way to help people face things that are scary, to face challenges, and to realize they can do it in a joyful way. 
Thanks for joining me tonight. Appreciate it. Also appreciate it if you're listening to this program as a downloadable podcast. We upload the program the following day after it airs live, and you get an opportunity to download it from your favorite podcast distribution point, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, it's everywhere. And we appreciate you doing that if, if that's how you're listening to the show. It's a great way to do that. Be sure to let us know if you are by going to our Facebook page. It's Beyond Reality Radio on Facebook and leaving us a comment or a note. Or uh, check into our YouTube channel as well. It's JV Johnson on YouTube. Very easy to find. Please subscribe. And also catch some of the uh, activity, we, activity we've got going on there. In addition to having something in the neighborhood of 500 back episodes of the program, on uh, our YouTube channel. We also have special content, bonus content, and there's a live chat room that uh, is active during the live program. It's a great way to participate, not just with the guests of the program, with me, but also in other listeners. There are a lot of people that join that uh, chat room, and they have a pretty good time in there. So welcome to you guys as well. Tonight we're talking with Heather Ashamara. She's the author of a book called The Warrior Heart Practice. We're going to get into that in just a few minutes. Heather Ash, let's talk about the Toltecs. Who were these people? The Toltecs were a group of people that came together in South and Central Mexico, and they considered themselves both scientists and artists. And they were very curious about how we create a reality through our perception. So the Toltecs believe that we're dreaming all the time, so it's not just nighttime dreaming, that during the day we're also dreaming, and we're really learning how to wake up and craft our dreams more consciously, our waking dream and our sleeping dream. Are, are the Toltecs a lost civilization? They're, they were for a while. So the, the story with the Toltecs, like a lot of the wisdom traditions, there was a, a suppression that happened. So when the Spanish invaded Mexico, the Toltecs at that time, the leaders decided to go underground. And so they made the commitment to each other that they would not teach the Toltec teachings in any big setting. They'd only teach one-on-one and take on individual apprentices. And there was a, a prophecy that the Toltec teachings would come back in the future. And so the, the people scattered. So a lot of people were killed, obviously, but then a lot of people scattered. And so the first place that the Toltec wisdom popped back up again after being suppressed for you know hundreds of years was with Carlos Castaneda's work and his uh, teachings of Don Juan. So that was a Toltec work, and it was really the first time the teachings came back into the public, and it was directed by Don Juan himself, who said, this needs to be brought into the world, write the books. And then Don Miguel was then another piece of the lineage holder. The belief is there were 10 different lineages, that went underground, and it's been fascinating over the years to see a lot of the different Toltec teachings popping up in different areas. There's a, a Toltec teacher in South Africa, I've heard of somebody in Louisiana, uh, Don Miguel brought the teachings forward in the most practical, I would say, and clear way, and we're really lucky to have these teachings, and the teachings were passed down through his family, so he's part of a, a lineage that has kept the ancient wisdom. But like he and his sons and myself, we're all evolving the tradition, which is really part of Toltec as well. The word Toltec means artist of the spirit. And so we're evolving the teachings to help where people are now. That's a really important part of sharing the teaching. 
You talk about having a dream prior prior to having met Don Miguel. Uh, did you see his face? I mean, how detailed was the dream, or did you just recognize from that dream that you were going to meet someone that was going to change your life? I saw his face, and it was a very quick dream. I mean, like, he dropped in facing me, and I was like, hello, okay, and then, boom, disappeared. Um, and it's interesting, because there were quite a few people that worked with Miguel at that time that also had dreamt about him oh, and really? were called in, in that way. With the teaching. So there was, there was you, you and, and others, there were several people that actually had the dream and uh, had anticipated mm-hmm. that encounter. Wow. Uh, why do you, what do you attribute that to? It's obviously a very spiritual thing, but uh, can you explain it? I see it two ways. One is that there's, you know, there's this larger prophecy of the Toltec's teachings coming into the world, and I believe that there's a larger intent that moves through us, and that you know, the intent isn't necessarily saying you are the exact right person. It's saying, oh, this could work. And if you pick up the signal, then you step into that particular way of sharing. But it can also go by you. And I happened to be open for the signal and and had the resonance and so stepped in. So, you know, it may have been past life. It may have been just a resonance that I was yearning for. And so it matched it. And so I stepped in. I also know Miguel has a tremendous amount of power. And so he would also hold, like magnetize people towards him to pass this work on to. And so I think some of, there were people out there that, again, had the, the openness to receive that invite, that, that invisible invitation, and then to find him. Do you think that your exposure to Eastern ideas and Eastern cultures may have opened some of that pathway for you and for him to appear in your dream and therefore put you on the path to meet him? I think so. Absolutely. And one of the things about moving as much as I did as a kid and being exposed to so many different cultures is I I never had the thing of this is what reality looks like. You know, I've talked to friends that lived in the same house, went to the same school, group, with the exact same people. And it's harder for them to step out of what's known, what's familiar. And I didn't have familiar. Like, it wasn't as familiar in my life. My family was familiar. But everything else changed constantly. And I think that set me up. It was challenging, honestly. It was also very difficult. And it also set me up to be wide open in a lot of ways um, that allowed me to be receptive to things that I think might have been more difficult for people. We have to go to break here in just a couple of minutes. And when we come back, I want to get into talking about your book, The Warrior Heart Practice. But before we talk about that book specifically, you have several books. Do you recommend that if someone is new to your work that they start with any particular book or can they start anywhere they want? They can really start anywhere. There's, you know, the first book was called Big Freedom. That's a really good foundational book. The newest book, The Warrior Heart Practice, they're all, they all have their themes. And so, Anybody can start with the like the newest book or the Warrior Goddess series, Warrior Goddess training. So I'd say those three are probably the best entry points into the work. Tonight we're talking with Heather Ash Amara. We're talking about her work, including her new book called The Warrior Heart Practice. Now before we talk about the book, Heather Ash, um, you uh, the book is published by St. Martin's Press. Uh, who was your editor there? Because I have a good friend that works there. Joel Fontina? Yeah, not the same guy. Do you know Peter Wolverton by any chance? 
Nope, I don't. I haven't met him. He is, uh, he's actually one of my best friends from high school, and he's an editor there at St. Martin's oh, Press. Oh, I love that. Yeah, yeah, it's fun, because I've had several guests come on the program not knowing that connection, and when I see St. Martin's Press, I always ask that question, because several of the guests we've had on the show have actually worked with Peter. So, And I always tell them to say okay. hi, because I don't think I've seen him since high school. <laughs> That's not entirely yeah. true, but <laughs> you know how good those things go. Um, yeah. Let's talk about the book. So tell us about the title, The Warrior Heart Practice. The warrior heart practice is a specific practice to help us get into being a warrior of the heart. So for me, that word warrior is about having commitment, focus, 100% of our attention, that it's a yes, we're in. And the heart is about learning how to open, be compassionate, listen, show up. And so we need more of both of these qualities. The, that active energy of the warrior as well as that really looking how do we bring unconditional living, unconditional love, unconditional presence into our life? How do we bring compassion into our life? And then the practice part is that it's a simple process to help people get out of story and get into truth. And I always say, I didn't call the book The Warrior Heart Finish because it's not something like you read it once and then you're done. It's a practice, and all transformation happens by us taking action over and over again. You know, you don't just brush your teeth once and then go, yay, I brushed my teeth, I don't have to do that again. <laughs> right. Same thing with exercising. I lifted weights today, I'm done for the rest of my life. <laughs> and it's the same thing with learning how to untangle the stories that we tell ourselves, the ways that we limit ourselves, the ways that we're suffering and to start really learning how to live in truth, it takes practice. So what are the map and the method of the warrior heart practice? The first part of the book, I share what's called Toltec cosmology. So I learned this from Don Miguel many years ago and then simplified it a little bit. So it's a an big picture overview. And, you know, in the olden days, we had these things called maps. So some of you may not be old enough to know this. But you, if you were lost, you would take your paper map and you would unfold it. And the first thing you would do is figure out where you were. Where am I? And then, once you knew where you were, then you would figure out where you were going. So that's really what the map is. The map helps us to see where are we now and where are we going. And, and also, how did we get here? So the map is really briefly, each of us have a big soul and a little soul. And your big soul is a part of you that's connected, that's, that feels trusting and open and connected to life. And your little soul is a part of you that feels disconnected often. It doesn't have to be that way. You know, I believe when we're really young, our big soul and our little soul are connected. But pretty early on, we start to disconnect. And the little soul, which we also call the ego or our personality, starts to try and create an identity and a structure and create safety. And part of how it does that is by telling stories. And so the map really is to learn how to help the little soul turn so it's facing the big soul again. So it's in more of a place of creativity and play and openness rather than fear, which a lot of us tend to get stuck in. The, the method is then the steps. How do we get there? The map gives you the overview. The method helps you then 
move from where you are now to where you want to go and really also get clear about where you want to go. So the warrior heart practice is a real simple four-step process that has four chambers, and it's connected to the four chambers of the heart. And so with your heart, you don't say, I like my left ventricle the best. Like that's the, my favorite part of my heart. You know that all of your heart is incredibly important. And it's the same thing with the warrior heart practice. So the practice is whenever you're triggered or upset or confused or want to get direction in your life, you walk yourself through these four chambers. And the first chamber is the feeling chamber. And the question is, what am I feeling? Which is separate than the story chamber. And the story chamber is... What am I telling myself? What's the story that I've created around this situation? The third chamber is the truth chamber. And the question is, what can I see as true here? And what most of us do is we go to the truth chamber, we write a better story, and we call it the truth. So I'm really helping. We're helping to, to ascertain the difference between a story and the truth. And then the last chamber is your intent. What's your focus? One word where you want to put your energy, and then you go back through the chambers to unwind the stories. And for me, the, the warrior heart practice, the map and the method, is really designed to help us to let go of the old stories we're carrying that don't serve us any longer. You know, we all create stories around, I'm not smart enough, or the world is this way, even though the world's a lot more incredible than any of us realize the places that we limit ourselves or we limit the world and or other people and to help us get free so that we can be more at choice in our lives. We have more creativity available. We have more compassion. We have more presence. Do you think there's an epidemic of anxiety, anguish, stress, um, maybe lack of self-confidence, Particularly when I look around maybe this country, I don't know about the rest of the world, but certainly this country, do you feel as though this is kind of at an epidemic proportion? I do. I feel like, you know, I have God, I have God kids. And most of my God kids are in a lot of anxiety. Like they're young people, they're in their 20s. Um, and it's been kind of amazing to see what they're struggling with because of how um, uncertain they feel about the future and about the world in general. And I also see this with a lot of adults. A lot of people that I work with have spent their whole life creating themselves and, and like doing the right thing. And now they've come to a point in their life, they're like, wait a minute, what have I done? Like, what's actually true? What do I actually like? And so I think a lot of us right now, because there's so much change happening, and because of technology and how fast technology moves, there's a lot more anxiety and stress, and we're all trying to process so much data and information that that tends to cause more anxiety and stress and overwhelm. And that's what I hear more than anything is people feeling overwhelmed. I have to assume that uh, technology and add to that social media um, is probably uh, the gasoline being thrown onto this fire. Yes, absolutely. It's so addictive. And unfortunately, so many of us are distracted and living our lives through technology, through computers, through how many likes we get, 
rather than really getting to know who we are. It's very easy to get distracted, very easy to get pulled off center, more easier than ever. And so we need really solid tools to help us come back into relationship with ourselves so that we are centered and present. We're choosing where we put our attention. I think that's part of what's so dangerous with social media and technology. And there's so many gifts with it, but there's also the dangers. And part of the danger is our attention is getting super fragmented. And we don't have that warrior capacity to say, okay, I'm, I'm not going to get hooked. I'm going to take my attention and put it here. One of the things that, that bothers me a lot and I think creates a lot of stress and anxiety between people, and you mentioned the difference between what you've seen in our, what we consider American culture versus what you saw in these, in, in these Asian cultures was this connectedness. Now we have social media re- replacing a lot of human uh, connections. And the difference between the, the standard, what we would consider be, to be human connections, face-to-face conversations, face-to-face meetings, talking with your neighbor, even if it's just on the phone, which we don't do anymore, um, mm-hmm. and social media, is that I am appalled at what people are willing to say to each other through the filter of a social media screen, things that you would not say to your neighbor, to your friend, to your acquaintance across town to someone you met just bumped into into the store you just would not say these things but because we have a screen between us people are willing to say things to other people that um you know would be considered appalling in other forms and i think that's creating a lot of this anxiety too yeah i totally agree with you jv that it's you know like we used to have manners and respect for each other and and, and really, like, connection with other humans and learning how to be intimate, learning how to work out our differences. And I feel like now, because of social media, it's, there's a lot less tolerance. There's a lot more uh, disrespect. And, and people just poking at other people, really for no reason. Um, so it's, it's a really challenging time right now to learn how to navigate the social media aspect and pull the best parts of it because it also does create connection where there might not be connection, but the capacity for it to divide is huge. You talk about us getting caught in our stories. How do people learn how to separate out feelings from story from truth? The first thing is to really start to understand what a story is. And we create stories. We start creating stories when we're really, really young and Often a story starts with an emotion, so something happens. And uh, you know, I'll use a really brief example, a really uh, little example. But if you can imagine that you're a kid and you're in the car, and your favorite song comes on, you start singing that song really loud, and you're enjoying yourself, and you're so happy that the song is on. And your parent, who's driving the car, says, "Be quiet! Shut up right now!" Uh-huh. What you might have an emotion of like shock or like upset or something. And then your mind immediately makes up a story. And the story might be, oh, my gosh, I must have a terrible voice. I must not be a good singer. And maybe what was happening is your parent, there was an emergency vehicle, and they couldn't figure out where it was coming from, or they're getting a migraine. Like, it has nothing to do with your voice. But we are really susceptible to making up stories. And usually the stories are based in scarcity, fear, I'm not good enough. Those tend to, to be really woven in. And, and so then you have this agreement or this belief, I can't sing. 
And what we do as humans is we're amazing storytellers. So then we start to look at all the evidence of I can't sing and ignore the evidence that says you can sing. So even if your parents saying, why don't you sing anymore? I love your voice. Immediately the story is, oh, they're just trying to make me feel better. I really have a terrible voice. You'd imagine, like, you turn 21 years old and your friends are all, yay, it's your birthday, let's go to karaoke, you're going first. Your response in your body would be like, oh, no, 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 oh, my gosh, I can't do this. There'd be fear, there'd be, like, anxiety, but it's all because of the story. And if we didn't have the story, we would be like, yeah, let me try karaoke, that sounds fun. But the stories that we tell ourselves limit us from trying things, from expressing ourselves, from, from really living fully. And so to start to separate that out, what I found is that the feeling and the story get really tangled together. And you can tell yourself a story and have an emotional response to it, and then the emotion makes you tell yourself more of the story, and then the story makes you feel the emotion. You can keep a feeling going forever by telling yourself a story about it. But to start to separate the feeling from the story where you are just exploring what am I feeling separate from the story. And at first, this might be a little difficult. It takes practice to separate them out. And how you learn to feel your feeling is the moment that you notice that you're triggered or, or, or feeling off in any way, stop, take a breath, and ask yourself, what am I feeling right now? And to, and to sense what's going on and then be with the feeling wherever it is in your body. So you might notice it's in your chest or your belly and just breathe into it. So to learn to be with your feelings means you're not judging your feeling. You're not trying to explain it. You're not blaming somebody else. You're just being with what's going on in your body, separate from the story. And then once and you just sit with it for minutes, five minutes, ten minutes, like whatever you need to just access the feeling so that you're not running away from it or repressing it, but you're letting yourself experience it. Then you go into the feeling, the story chamber, excuse me. And I, I love this practice because you can visualize, like now I'm stepping into a different room and now this is the story chamber. Uh, my story chamber in my in my imagination is like this library that has all these books and there's a judge in there that's like pointing to all the books of like, this is why the story is true, it's written down. But that story chamber is what you're telling yourself, what's the story. And you want to be like an archaeologist. You want to be willing to go deep to look at what are you actually telling yourself. So if you're an archaeologist, you wouldn't walk, you know, go for a walk and find a pottery shard on the ground and go, look, a pottery shard, We're, our work is done here. You would start digging because you know there's history. And it's the same thing with our stories. So often the stories that we're telling ourselves are much older storylines. So we think we're upset with our coworker, but we're actually, we haven't released the story or the story's gotten tangled up around our relationship with our dad, let's say, or with the singing you know, we have created a story that says nobody wants to listen to my voice. And so we're then upset, but it's actually a really old story. And then the third chamber, the truth, the how to separate story from truth, again, takes practice. What I found is that the story, different from the truth, is very simple. The truth, this, 
the truth is one sentence with a period at the end. And there's also a resonance in the body. I believe our beings know what's true at a deep level, and there's a feeling sense. You don't have to justify the truth or explain the truth. You feel it. And so anytime you're, you think you have a truth, but you start trying to explain it, you're back in story again. So, again, it takes practice, but it's amazing what happens when you start to realize how fast your brain jumps to make a story and to come back to what's actually true in this moment right now. Is it fair to say that these stories are... Another way to describe them would be uh, um, uh, imposing um, restrictions on ourselves that uh, we aren't necessarily, we don't have innately. In other words, um, you, you keep using the singing example. And if someone doesn't believe they can sing or they someone believes that they aren't a good singer, they're not going to try to sing. So they've self-imposed that despite the, the fact they might have a beautiful voice. Exactly. Yes. So, That's exactly it. We impose our own limitations with our stories. And the Warrior Heart Practice, your book here, helps people identify those quote-unquote stories, which are limitations, in many cases self-imposed limitations, and frees us from those bonds. Is that what the practice is all about? Absolutely. And what I know is that when we're free of those bonds, as humans, we're incredibly inventive and creative and open to possibilities. The stories limit us. When we start to clear the stories out, we can then be in relationship with the world in a really different way. And I really believe right now we're facing a lot of challenges on the planet, a lot of social challenges. You know, we're just talking about the social media and technology, a lot of environmental challenges. And there's a lot that is you need to be very creative, let's put it that way. And so for me, I'm very excited about this practice because it's a simple practice to help us remove the limitations so that when we're faced with a challenge, instead of going, oh, I can't do this or it's impossible or somebody else has to fix this, we can face the challenge and go, all right, let me open and listen to possibility. Let me pull my creativity up. And we also know where to take action. We get really clear. Most of us, I mean, a lot of people that I talk to, we live in a lot of confusion because, again, I think there's so much data and so much information we're trying to process. And so this process helps us, the practice helps us to clear the confusion, the overwhelm, the anxiety, so that we know this is where to put my energy. This is where to invest my time. This is where I'm the most effective. It seems to me that uh, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure here. And most of these stories and these self-imposed limitations uh, start when we're children. Is it possible to teach this to children? Yes. We can definitely start teaching our children to understand how to be in relationship with their feelings. You know, we tend to have a lot of stories around feelings, like you shouldn't have a feeling or it's not okay. And so to teach children at a very young age, to ask them questions, what are you feeling now? Where do you feel it in your body? And to not shame them for having this feeling or to, and to help them not make up a story, but just to be in relationship with their feelings, to just feel their feelings. Kids' feelings move quickly. If you've ever been around kids, you know that they can be one second, like, crying and really upset, and the next second they're completely fine. 
they know the emotions are like the weather. <laughs> and so if you teach them to just be with them, they'll move quickly. It's a story that keeps the emotions stuck. And you can also start teaching them about the difference between a story and a truth. You know, to ask them, again, questions. Is that something you made up in your head, or did that, did that happen? And so asking them questions that are open-ended so they can start learning themselves. So if they come home, for example, and they're upset because somebody didn't sit next to them at lunch, to be able to say, so how did you feel about Molly not sitting next to you at lunch? What was the story you started telling yourself? And then what, what could be true? And to give them, to start to show, show them that the stories they make up in their head are not reality. They're stories they're making up. Sometimes they can see what the truth is, which is, I don't know why Molly didn't sit, or, oh, Molly has actually been not feeling well. You know, whatever it is. So you can start them really young, actually, and, and give them a head start so they don't have to go through a lot of untangling the stories, help them untangle them before they start. Can this also be used for someone who's had trauma, some type of trauma in their lives? Yeah, we've been working the practice with people that have trauma, and we've noticed that there's a particular way to use the warrior heart practice specifically for trauma. So if you don't have trauma or you're not in a trauma episode, I, rec- I recommend that you really do the practice in the order of starting with the feeling and then story and then truth and then intent and then circle back. But if you're in trauma, if you have had, if you have PTSD and you're triggered or you're, you're really in a trauma episode, what you want to do is start in the truth chamber. So to get present into the moment, you don't want to go into the story or feeling because you're probably going to re-traumatize yourself. So I share a story in the book of a friend of mine who was washing dishes and she had a, a, bo- a very serious body memory around being sexually abused out of nowhere. And she immediately, she'd done the practice a lot, so she immediately asked herself, okay, what's true here? Put herself in the truth chamber and put her hands on the sink and just breathed and waited. And the truth was, I'm at my kitchen sink. I'm an adult. I'm safe. And she just kept repeating that to herself over and over again. These things are true. And that helped bring her back. And then she was able to get clear about what her intent was and then go back through the chambers to look at, okay, what was the story and what's the feeling? And that was a a profound unwind of this experience. And so it can be really helpful for people that have trauma to start in the fifth chamber first. I've kind of asked this question before, and I think you've answered it in several different ways during other um, questions that I've asked, but I'll ask it again in a more direct way. What's your hope for people who embrace the practice, the warrior heart practice? Mm, I see so many of us suffering, carrying around old emotions, old stories, really limiting ourselves, getting stuck in what I call the spin cycle not knowing how to communicate with other people, not knowing what their own truth is, not having clear intent. So my, my real hope for the practice is that it helps people get into right relationship with themselves, where they become their own ally, where they come, become their own best friend, and where they can 
let go of the threads of the past. And so many of us are being pulled back into the past constantly. And I want to free people to be living in the present so that they're responding in this moment in the here and now, rather than constantly referring back to what happened before. Once again, um, let people know where they can get a hold of the books. This, this is uh, this sounds. Uh, I mean, I've already learned some things just from this brief conversation, and um, I'm anxious to delve into this a little bit more. And I will. And I know there are people in our chat room that are already asking where they can get a hold of the book. Mm, great. The book's available online, so any place you can buy books online, and you can always go to my website, and there's a, a link there of all the different places, com, and you can also buy it at your local bookstore. So the book sh- the book just came out. It's been out for one month now. Actually, today is one month. Oh, wow. <laughs> that it's been out. Yeah, it's a brand-new baby book. So it's available at any bookstore, so I can go and ask, and if they don't have it in stock, they can always order it for you. And, you know, I go very deeply into each of We did such a brief overview, but I go, there's a chapter for every chamber. So we go very in-depth with the feeling, we go very in-depth with the story. So there's a lot of unpacking to, to gain the clarity around how to start really living in the truth and the intent. You know, for a lot of us, we live our lives bouncing back and forth between the feeling and the story chambers. And we have a lot of stories around what we should be feeling. So (laughs) to help unravel those as well, so that we can live more in the truth and intent. And when we do that, really magic starts to happen. Synchronicities start to happen. I have such an incredible life, really, because I've cleaned up not all the stories. I still have work. All of us have work but that there's a lot more spaciousness inside of me now. And so I notice things I wouldn't have noticed before. I see the synchronicities. I take risks. I listen very deeply to my intuition. And it, it's an amazing experience to be fluid in relationship to the world. I know that you have in the past done some events, done a lot of things like that. Is there anything coming up that you want people to know about? Or is the best place to just keep an eye on the, on the website? Yeah, there's uh, a lot of things on the website. Right now I'm doing a course through the Shift Network that just started, and that's an online course for the Warrior Heart Practice, so people can jump into that. Again, we'll be doing a deep dive, a really guided tour through each of the chambers and how to use it in your life. And then I'm also doing a Warrior Heart Practice facilitator training. I actually trained 100 facilitators and coaches before the book came out, and so I'm continuing that training. So we found that therapists have been using the Warrior Heart Practice in their therapy sessions. People have been doing coaching. Uh, we have people out teaching the practice. So that's something that's really exciting that's happening in March. And a lot of other events. I'm constantly on the I basically live on the road. <laughs> so I travel a lot. So well, people can catch me live or online. Well, we appreciate you taking the time out to talk with us again, Heather Ash. It's been a real treat and a pleasure, and I look forward to having you back. Hopefully it won't take another year before that. <laughs> yes, hopefully. <laughs> Wonderful to talk to you, JV, and I so appreciate all the work that you're doing in the world of helping people open their eyes to different realities and different experiences. So Th- thank you so much. Thank you, and great luck with the book. It's a, it's a month old now. I see great things for it, so thank you again. 
Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by J.V. Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.